educate. The alternative classroom experience brought to you by me, Katie Conn, from my London living room. Now this week, I am thrilled to be joined by Chris Pearson, who is a basketball agent, retired professional basketball player, and the founder of the Hoops Anthem campaign. I am really interested in finding out all about Chris's experiences of basketball in the context of the UK system and discover what role basketball has in shaping and serving communities. Welcome to the Educate Classroom, Chris Pearson. a pleasure and an honour to be here. Well, thank you very, very much. This is the first sort of sporty episode of Educate, so I'm actually really, really interested to get into all of the nitty gritty questions. So can I just ask, so obviously I've done my intro and I have, of course, done my research on you, which I have very much enjoyed doing. But I just want to know, for our Educate audience, who is Chris K. Pearson, please? <laughs> okay, so the question is, who am I? Um, I am a trainee teacher currently, um, and I'm, I'm embarking on a new life. So I'm a trainee teacher now. That's my main thing. So if mm-hmm. I'm meeting people in England, that's what I am. Um, and that's gen- generally what I say, because the other stuff is a bit hard to explain. But I'm an ex-professional basketball player. Um, I'm an English citizen, born and raised, but left England when I was 18 uh, on a scholarship to, the, to play basketball in the USA in, in college, well, university, but they call it college. Mm-hmm. Um, then I played professionally in France and Italy. Then I stayed in Italy and worked as a basketball agent. Um, wow. And then, so that's my, that's my previous life. Um, but it's almost like I've come back to England. That's a, almost abruptly finished. Um, and now I'm a trainee teacher. The fact that you've had such an interesting career so far, and now you're embarking on a teaching journey, I think that is just going to be so beneficial for everyone that you teach. I love talking about maths, but I am here to talk to you all about kind of basketball and everything that kind of encompasses your personal and professional experience. So what was your life like before you found basketball? Can you talk to me a bit about your childhood? Okay, um, I'm an adoptee, so I was an adopted. Um, I was adopted by a completely white family. I'm mixed, um, white and African, mm-hmm. um, and I'm also six eight. And my family is five ten and below. So, I I, I was qu- I was quite apparently different from everyone um, in my immediate experience from birth from um, from from the very beginning. Um, but at the same time, I was that was my family and because it was from birth it wasn't there was it wasn't a novel thing it was just how things were it wasn't it, it wasn't strange for me so this was my mom this is my dad this is my brother my sister although they weren't bi- biologically related and although they were superficially very different from me um mm-hmm. and that was the situation on the surface um under the surface i think i had other things going on and that manifested in in bad behavior around the house i tended to be um tended to be argumentative with my parents, wouldn't follow the rules, and just basically drove my mum to distraction to the point that she sent me to boarding school um, at, the, at the end of year seven. Wow, okay. What was that like? Okay, so going to boarding school wasn't too bad, but I do quite vividly remember the conversation my parents telling me that I was going. Um, and it was almost a sense of, of because my, my, old, my brother and sister are biologically related to my parents, and they're both older. And I, there was a sort of a sense of, I knew it. 
like I knew it knew I was different I knew I wasn't wanted almost um mm. and that's not really fair because it was my behavior that drove the decision but at the same time it did sort of confirm some underlying issues some underlying worries I had about my place in the world um and it was almost like a confirmation of me being unwelcome and different so it was, it was hard in terms of you saying you felt kind of un- unwelcomed can you just talk a little bit more about that is that kind of in context of on your family at the time yeah um it's it's tricky because there are always two sides of a story and so on the surface i was extremely welcome like my parents were great they made a real effort to emphasize how how they were lucky to have me how i was loved just as much as my brother and sister how i was almost more wanted because i'd been chosen they took the, the entire family to Sierra Leone when i was 10 to see my heritage so on that side of things it was wonderful on the other side of things there was and and i've only come to understand this much much later but on the other hand this stuff my mother didn't want me um and there's not much there's there's that's it my mother didn't want me so um that was always there i think and mm. so and so i i feel that throughout my childhood throughout the the message of you're wanted you're special you're you're extra special there's a sense of i don't believe it my mother didn't want me you people are just being nice and then sending me to boarding school it was, it was sort of like i knew it yeah. um, which isn't which isn't fair to them because they were genuine and yet it's hard to overcome your mother not wanting you overcome your your child's mother not wanting him it must have made sense that you were acting out if you've got those sort of unprocessed feelings that you haven't necessarily you know been able to compress and and reflect on especially when mm-hmm. especially when you're a growing boy it's it's really yeah. tough i'm really pleased that you're able to now kind of have that perspective and be reflective mm-hmm. of that so how did finding basketball change your perception on okay. yourself so being sent to boarding school wasn't the end of the trouble the first boarding school actually my disruptive behavior continued and i got i was um excluded permanently not from the school but from the boarding school right i ended up being sent to another boarding school midway through my gcse's my behavior was basically attention seeking to a large extent in the in the wrong way it was wanting to seem special and clever in disruptive ways um when i started playing basketball i completely changed um and looking back is is strangely abrupt how suddenly like I, my my identity was problem child I, i wouldn't i wouldn't label anyone else as that but it, i label myself as that on the one hand i was it was problem child um on that and then suddenly it wasn't it's really when i look back on it it's really quite abrupt and it's i look back on the period of my life up to about 15 and what immediately comes to mind is waiting outside her teacher's offices and various disciplinary proceedings and when i look back at my life at 16 what i what springs to mind is sports halls and this really lovely smell of a sports hall it's <laughs> a lovely smell of a sports hall and the, and just the, it was that was where, that was my identity suddenly and it was a really really abrupt change yeah i'm not surprised and so where were you when you first discovered basketball were you at boarding school at this point yeah i was at, i was at the second boarding school um in dalham this is in cumbria in the north of england right okay lake the lake district oh lovely area to play basketball <laughs> it's a lovely area and again my parents had the best of intentions sending me somewhere they thought was lovely um yeah but sending me to the north of england where i'm even more of a minority and it's even colder than where i grew up oh <laughs> uh, i think that was a crossed wire but at least you found the organic initial love of the sport i guess uh I, i think honestly i found it almost despite of the circumstances because 
Canberra is not the place for basketball. You know, if, if if I'd been sent to Birmingham or Manchester or London, and I'm and I'm so tall, naturally I would find it. But finding it in Cumbria, you know, I played rugby before that. I was in the school team for rugby and a bit of tennis. But the fact I just chanced upon um, basketball when there was no sort of local enthusiasm for it, it just it just speaks to it speaks to how much it was specifically for me. That's so good. Is basketball popular in the UK? It's a really good, it's a really good question. It's a really good question. What, what do you think what, um, off the top of your head? So off the top of my head, I know that it's, I know that it's a sport where anybody can give it a go. I would suggest it's potentially sometimes an intimidating sport because there are fantastic people like yourself that are ginormous. Yeah. <laughs> and if I were to enter, um, the court in said situation with height discrepancies. I might feel slightly nervous, um, but I can imagine that it is a great game. I mean, my background is netball um, and we used to play basketball kind of, you know, in drills just to kind of mix things up and get used to ball work, I guess. So I guess it probably is popular, but I never used to play it at school. So yeah, is it popular? Do Enough um, of me. If, if, I, if you don't mind, if you don't mind, I just ask one follow-up question. Which, that is, um, could you tell me the last time you saw basketball in a newspaper or on TV? I can't. I really can't. I okay. mean, I think I saw a documentary on Netflix. I can't remember the name now. I'll have to find it. Um, but it was talking all about basketball in context of America. I think it's a fairly new one. But I haven't actually seen basketball on TV ever, to be honest. Okay. Okay. So, Dan, so, so I'll get my dad two questions. Um, but basketball is the second most popular sport in the world. It's the second highest participation sport in England amongst 18 and unders, but it's not popular because it's never on the news and it's never in the newspaper. And there are no stadiums or any sort of basketball facilities in England except for outdoor court. Okay, so there's about 12 million things that we need to unpack there because <laughs> I feel like you've just dropped a truth bomb. Um, so <laughs> let's, just, let's just rein it in a bit. Um, wow, my socks have just flown off to the other side of the room. So if it's the second most popular in terms of participation for children up until the age of 18, which obviously are fundamental years in training in order to then hopefully you know progress into professional spheres why does it not have stadiums and why are they only outside what why why is that the case who is participating this is such a big question and if you go anywhere in england amongst basketball people there'll be a debate going on about why this is so because of because i have such an international past um, being France, Italy, different countries, I'm always asked this: What's happening? What's up with basketball in England? Why, why is it like that? I've got my answer, but it's not. This is not conclusive. I can I can tell you my answer. I would um, love to know. My explanation for it is the basketball. Um, it came from the USA and it arrived in Europe in a, in the twenties and um, and in other countries too, in other continents. And it was it was widely adopted 
when in the 20s and 30s, basketball clubs were established and gradually, gradually built up support, um, built up a following, built up a fan base, um, built up media attention over the course of the last 80 years. Mm-hmm. In England, um, in the 20s and 30s, we said, no, thank you very much. We've got football and rugby already. And we invented these sports and we don't need another uh, upstart American sport. Thank you very much. We've got cricket, rugby, football, our sports, et cetera, et cetera. And so in my opinion, it's a, it's just, it's a legacy issue. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no way to explain it today, but it's become, it comes from legacy. The fact that the fact is that European countries, they were, they, they didn't have the pride of having invented football and inventing rugby and inventing cricket. So they were willing to import sports. Um, they were much more open-minded and because right. they imported basketball in the thirties, uh, 20s and 30s is being grown for 80 years in England it hasn't and so we're 80 years behind in development um that that's that's my explanation for it wow so would you perhaps suggest that it's the lack of basketball presence despite it being a massively important and in terms of participation is it kind of a ricochet effect of sort of years of I don't think there was a king or a queen or a colonial representative who said no to basketball, but I think it is, it's the shared history, which mm. is because of England being predominant last century, English things were established and, and certain privileges were established, um, certain traditions were established um, in that period, in that colonial period. And I, yes, I do believe that basketball has not got this development of other sports because of those colonial traditions. In terms of ethnicities, who is playing basketball? It's a sport. It's a sport for everyone. Um, and there are people. There are people of all, of all ethnicities, ethnicities who play it and are, are successful in it. But it does have a higher level of black representation than any other sport, I would say. And particularly, right. particularly when it comes to um, higher level positions. And this is partly. This is partly just because. Um, the most successful league is in the USA, which is which has which has a higher. Um, they're further along in in certain progressive integrative systems. Um, they had they arguably had more more um, a, a, a nastier history to overcome, and that's part of the reason for that, um, arguably. But basketball does have a very high level of representation. Just just in England, there are 11 professional teams. Um, I think three out of the 11 are coached and managed by people of color. So if you compare it to, I think I think there are, it's, it's tricky talking in racial terms, um, but I think there are sports that are very much white, um, such as croquet. <laughs> <laughs> um, bit of tennis, <laughs> bit of hockey. Tennis, um, cricket's an interesting one because it's absolutely not. That's a, it's it's very much um, it's white and brown with um, Indian, Pakistani, and and Caribbean people being very much represented. Football, I think, is a very equalizing sport where it's there are very very similar levels. Although I would I might argue that less so in terms of management and coaching. Mm-hmm. But basketball, I think, it's for everyone and it's enjoyed by everyone. But it is there's a, there are high levels of black representation in it, um, at, and at higher levels. That sounds really interesting and important. To, to mark because I think when you assess these sport um, I don't know systems in context of each other if you want to really in my opinion progress into total equality hopefully one day uh, then that's you know race gender sexuality all of those all-encompassing factors people need to be in positions of authority and power it's not just I don't know you can't you can't have a white pale 
stale male at the top of every kind yeah. of um, system. Otherwise, absolutely, absolutely. You know, yeah, the power having, doesn't having, get distributed. Having minorities in the in the labor force uh, isn't necessarily diversity or progression. That's um, it can even sometimes look like exploitation if you have certain group only in roles of low authority and other groups in, in all the roles of high authority. You need to have diversity throughout. That's really good that it has a great track record for that because I'm sure that there are lots of other um, other sports that could potentially be taking notes. The NFL is much, it, it does have this issue of plenty of black players and a lack of black coaches. Um, and this is often commented upon, whereas basketball is diverse from the, from, from the ground up from, and from the top down. Well, there we go. I mean, well, definitely other sporting institutions should follow suit. I guess we spoke a bit then about not just white people in positions of leadership of sports teams in context of basketball, but obviously authority and money comes into it and, you know, to create a really brilliant sporting institution that kind of covers all of the UK. Money sadly does come into it. So what is the funding situation like for basketball in the UK? Does it receive enough institutional support versus the other sports? It basically doesn't receive any. Um, and the last, and it's, and it's hard to get numbers. So that's not completely fair. Um, there is government funding for grassroots I actually object to the term grassroots because that's so that's so football oriented. Grassroots doesn't make sense for basketball. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It should almost, be like gravel. Also, yeah, exactly. Uh, you, using the phrase the phrase grassroots is almost systematic of the problem, which is an assumption that it's all about football. But there is that's a really great point. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is um, there is funding for basketball at low levels. I know some people in London who do get government funding for for projects. It is available. The British Basketball League was supported throughout COVID and subsidized to, so, that, so they could keep going. Where the numbers are most glaring is if you look at Olympic funding. At the last Olympic Games, basketball wasn't funded at all. The Olympics is one event and it is the sports are funded in order to win medals. But in, on the other hand, it does represent priorities. Mm -hmm. um, so in 2024, archery, 2 million, badminton, 3 million, canoeing, 12 million. Wow. Diving, eight and a half million. Equestrian, 11 million. Rowing, 22 million. Sailing, 21 million. Shooting, 5.8 million. Basketball, 1.35 million. Um, 1.35 million versus yeah. crazy high numbers for sports that I don't think I ever see so about, about, so, so shooting, shooting is funded about four times higher than basketball. Um, and Equestrian is funded about nine times more. And um, I, I'm not against these sports at all. I'm not against any, well, shooting maybe. I'm not, I'm not really a fan of shooting, but um, I think all sports are positive. I've, shooting, I don't know if it is a sport, but um, <laughs> I think all sports are positive. And yet um, it, seems, it seems incredible to me how marginal, how marginally basketball is treated in England and how sports you would think are marginal are mm. heavily funded and, and subsidised. I mean, it's really interesting when you lay those figures out like that, because when I hear a stat that it's the second most engaged with sport for participation up until the age of 18, you would sort of assume, 
and I guess it's not even considered in this way, but you would assume that it would, as a sport, basketball receive a lot of funding because if those figures are showing that there's loads of active participation coming mm. up through the British system, surely that's kind of paving the way for for really brilliant Olympic achievement one day and sort of being able to finally be put on the main stage. It just seems yeah. like a missed opportunity. Well, the, the issue is, as I mentioned earlier, but being 80 years behind means you're 80 years behind. And so now we're in a vicious cycle situation, which is because of Eng England being so far behind, it's almost hopeless for us to have success. And because it's almost hopeless, it's not funded because they want to fund the sports where we can be successful. So, right, okay. Um, I don't think there's anything vindictive in this funding. I just think there's nothing proactive. Um, yeah. Here's, an, here's another point too. Okay, do you have a background in netball? Um, I do. I don't, you, you tell me, is, is netball an indoor and outdoor sport? Uh, it's both. I prefer it's playing cool. indoor because I think that's uh, some of the tarmacking historically Absolutely. on some of the netball courts are not good enough and it impinges on pivoting and sprinting. And it wears on your knees and it wears on your ankles and your back um, yeah. playing on concrete. And same with basketball. Basketball is actually a, an indoor sport. You just, wouldn't, you just wouldn't know it in England because um, we don't have any facilities. So really it would be, instead of grassroots, it would be, uh, I don't know, wooden, wooden planks. Because playing, playing outside, although it's, it's the only option for most young British people, is actually really bad for their bodies, bad for their knees. It's just far from ideal. Basketball should be, should be an indoor sport. That's very interesting. I didn't even think about that. And I guess it's about paving actual space for it. When I think about the spaces in which basketball exists in the UK, even, you know, obviously I don't play, but it definitely seems like a court will be created sort of often in various like housing developments. It often yep. feels like a kind of pivotal center for communities. Yep. So uh, that just makes me think, you know, what role does basketball have in shaping and informing communities? Is it more than just a sport? What does basketball at the moment look like for communities across the UK? I believe in sport. I think sport is wonderful. Um, and basketball happens to be mine. So I think every sport is more than a sport. But I do think basketball, it does fill a role. Um, those, those courts in those communities, I think it provides something positive in, in areas where that's absolutely needed. It, it does especially appeal to urban, to urban communities and inner city communities. And those courts are, are an alternative for more destructive and, and antisocial and dangerous and potentially violent activities. So I think all sports has great value, but I think basketball specifically targets areas where, where it's most needed. Absolutely. And I, I can speak to that from experience that it put me on the right track. I'm not from an inner city and my family was perfectly well off. So I, I cannot speak from that from that uh, experience, but I see it. I do I definitely see that in certain communities, you see this in, in urban communities in England, you see this especially in the USA. If you take a, a rough neighborhood and there's a basketball court there, then the young people generally go in one of two directions. They either they ever spend their time invested on the basketball court and that's the outlet for their energy and that's the outlet for their their aggression and that's where they they can be ambitious or they express that energy in gangs or and in and the outlet for their aggression is is more violent and they're mm. much though and, and because i'm a teacher much though we want people to have long-term ambitions young young people need short-term ambitions as well um and basketball provides for that because if i work now i'm better tomorrow and it shows and i get recognition from that 
but unfortunately, so do gangs. If I if I work hard now destructively, if I do something in that culture, I can get immediate recognition and re and reward from it today or tomorrow. Education is tricky because the rewards come later. So what basketball and what all sport can do is it can give an alternative outlet for destructive behavior. Um, and what makes basketball, not, not more than any other sport, but what makes basketball special is that it does specifically target communities where certain problems are rife. Something positive and uplifting is, is especially needed. Definitely. And I, and I mean, just from an outsider who, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't play basketball, although the more I'm having this conversation, the more I'm like, oh, there's a court up there. Maybe I should go and bounce some balls. Um, but I do think that if there was a lot more attention and funding injected into the sport, you know, trickling down from the very top at Olympic level, but, you know, down to gravel routes, that, that's what we're talking about. But I do think that you know, it would hopefully, and this may be idealistic, but of, of what you just said, you know, try and alleviate some issues that do happen. It did for me. That's all I can say. It changed my life in a very positive way. So, um, and I'm not, and I'm, I'm not an exception. There are plenty of people I talk to who say the same thing. Um, really? So, absolutely. And speaking of people that you've obviously spoken to within the basketball community, you would be silly to not think of the icon that is Ovi with his awesome bucket hat. Um, Ovi Soko, going on Love Island, did Ovi help sort of create more of an awareness about basketball in the UK? I'm just curious to know. So I, I was aware of Ovi and I hadn't, I actually met him at a game in Italy just because I was working as an agent and would have loved to represent him. So I got in touch and, and made arrangements and years before Love Island, talked to him a couple of times at games and at, at English um, when he was playing for England. Um, and what what strikes me about the whole situation is that he was already amazing. Like he's he's in France playing now. He's really really playing well and making good money and being very successful as a basketball player. And the thing that strikes me about it is he got so much more famous from Love Island. But um, but he's a he's a super. He's already a star in my eyes. He's already amazing in my eyes because he made it. Like and it's really really hard to make it in England. And making it in England means leaving England. So he went. USA and did really well and now he's in France competing and doing really well so I'm not sure if he he definitely raised his own profile I think it's great he did it you know it's, it's great for his career it's great it's, it's, it was a great opportunity for him but it's a little bit tragic that he, he had to do it to be recognized because he was already amazing and so to answer your question I'm not sure it raised his profile and now I'm sure one person is playing basketball because of Ovi who wouldn't be otherwise it would be bound if it made him a bit more famous but it's the fact that he went from an unknown to be suddenly being a celebrity and he was already amazing, to me, it's crazy. Um, so, <laughs> so in conclusion, Love Island cannot single-handedly save and inject vigour into British basketball. But, you know, Ovi did a great thing by going on. It's all good. It's all love. And it's all positive. Um, but... <laughs> Maybe we should do a basketball version of Love Island, but just with the British basketball players. And that's how we basically harness the popular culture of media to inject that passion, that financial whatever, passion. Whatever works. I'm all for it. <laughs> I think it'd be quite, you know what? I think it would shake up the industry in a much needed Definitely. way. Absolutely. <laughs> so obviously, speaking of shaking up the industry, a lovely little segue there into talking about the Hoops Anthem campaign. Can you talk to me about it, please? Absolutely. Well, um, 
Okay, you had your unconventional idea. Uh, <laughs> this is which, and I'm all for really? it. This is my this is my unconventional idea, um, and it's simply because these issues we've been discussing are not new. It's been 40 or 50 years that people have been bemoaning the fact that English basketball is so far behind and, and so undeveloped and there's so much potential that's not realized and no one's found a solution and no one's even really got an explanation. I think it is that 80 years of neglect. I think that's the explanation, but, but by no means is that unanimous. And so how to fix it? And... <laughs> Um, I'm not, I'm by no means arrogant enough to think that I'm, me speaking about this is any way special is going to make any difference. So I think we do need new ideas. So your, your idea about a reality TV show, great. My idea is to do a contest, partly because I do think that rap music and hip hop go hand in hand in a lot of ways. It's one of those things where you don't have to be a, a hip hop fan to play basketball, but you probably are. Um, most that's interesting most, you probably are most and, and okay there, there are, I'm sure there are plenty of ba casual basketball players who are not but in my experience as a professional um, inside in England and outside England generally speaking the warm-up is is rap fans like rap they're very much connected and you can see this historically you can see it in films where there's where the, there's a hip-hop and a basketball element you can see it in the fact that a lot of rappers want to try and play basketball and a lot of basketball players want to try and be rappers. Um, <laughs> there is, there's a synergy between the two things. And, and I'm a rap fan and a hip hop fan. We also, hip hop in England faces a similar set of problems in that it's very much in the shadow of American hip hop and it's, and it's not quite getting the recognition it should get in England. So my idea is to, to bring these two together um, and encourage someone within British hip hop and rap to put all of these long-winded points I'm making and all of these words into a succinct song, into an anthem. My idea is that would be a starting point. If we have if we have a song that unifies us, that all British basketball fans can get behind um, and sing, then there'll be a step in the right direction. Basically, the idea is to make some noise in a concerted, productive way. And that, that's the idea for this contest. Well... I mean, I'm obsessed. Have there been any good submissions so far? Not yet, because I've decided to do the judging process next summer. And that's because the Commonwealth Games are actually next summer in 2022 in Birmingham. So I've decided it would be great to announce the winner at that event because all of the, all of the British national basketball team will be together. Um, there'll be a big audience for sport. So um, while the, the contest is open now, there's no rush for submissions. And, and I think that I'm not really expecting many submissions until much closer to the date. For now, I just want, I want to get word out about the competition and, and get people thinking about it. I just think there's so much interest there talking about, you said, synergy between hip hop and basketball. And I just think it's really fascinating. I never really sort of, you don't really think, just in my head, you don't really think like, oh, rugby players, pop music. No. <laughs> you don't really go footballers, rock. I don't know. So it's just, no. I think it sounds so interesting that it is more of a kind of community and in a cultural, exciting I don't know, ball of moving parts. I just think it's great that you're merging the two together. They're both, they're both somehow a, thing, a, a link to urban culture in a big way. They're both a bit margin, marginal in England, much more mainstream in other countries, but they both resonate in the inner cities. And so um, that synergy is there. And you're right, it, it's hard to think of connections in other sports. I don't know, maybe equestrian and classical music. Exactly. But it's, it's true. Um, 
that synergy, you don't really see it as so much um, for other sports. Yeah, it's like um, the glue that holds the team together, especially when you talk okay. about, you know, warming up and music being a big part of that. I think what you're doing sounds like you're binding and, you know, really solidifying this issue. If there is one piece of advice that you could give to somebody who's thinking about playing basketball, what would it be? Just keep that dedication. You're a little bit against the odds in England because you're not going to get that reinforcement of seeing your sport on TV. And you're not going to see a local basketball stadium because we don't have any. We're not, you're not going to see it in the newspaper. That dedication has to come from within. But if you keep working at it, then you will progress. So stay, stay dedicated. Wow, lovely words. Thank you so much, Chris Pearson. It has been so enlightening and I can't wait to see how the campaign progresses. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, that was certainly a really eye-opening lesson from Chris Pearson. I have a feeling that he's going to make the best teacher, don't you? It's amazing to think how something, an event, a sport, a person can enter your life at the right time, at the right age, at the right moment, and just completely change your life for the better. I think that is what basketball was for Chris. And it's amazing that he was able to share his story and his upbringing and really speak about how that pinnacle moment just completely changed the trajectory of his life and I just think it's fascinating so thank you so much Chris and also thanks for educating me on a topic that I genuinely had no idea about I didn't realize how underfunded basketball was I didn't actually realize how popular it was so I really feel like my eyes have been completely opened to a really undervalued and underfunded sport. So that needs to change. I am also inspired to go and grab a netball or a basketball and go and shoot some hoops. Woohoo! And speaking of hoops, make sure you keep up to date with the Hoops Anthem campaign on Instagram at Hoops Anthem. And Chris can also be found on Instagram at Chris K and E-H. So that's Chris, K and E-H. And as always, thanks for joining me today in the Educate Virtual Classroom. If you fancy teaching me a lesson, slide into my DMs. I double dare you. So if I double dare you, it means you have to do it. Keep up to date with all Educate Out of Hours chatter on Instagram at educate underscore podcast. And make sure to share and subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy listening. Have a fab week and stay educated. Bye.